We're into our third week right now of a series called Heavenly Architect. And what the, 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 the letter that we're walking through in the New Testament is called uh, the letter to the Colossians or the church in Colossae. And the whole point of this, this book and the point of our series is to keep us from drift. That was the, the Apostle Paul, or some of you might know him as St. Paul, wrote this book in, in hopes of keeping this congregation in this small town, surrounded by larger towns and, and full of culture and the influence of Rome and many gods and many ideologies and different philosophies making their way through. And as I've, I've said uh, a few weeks back, so it was, a, it was a hub for the wise and the weird, for, for some great things, kind of like the internet, right? Like where, where there's a lot of information, but there's not a lot of tools to know whether it's good information or bad information, right? It's just a lot of information, and we assume that's good, but do we have the tools to figure out what is good information and bad information? And in a lot of ways, we can take from what Paul says here and says, don't drift off. Make sure you always come back to Christ. Always come back to the gospel. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, that will save you, save you from drifting out of your lane. Be careful on your drive, Tim. Uh, stay in your lane. Stay awake. Take the brakes when you need them. And don't drift out of your lane. The reason we call this series uh, Heavenly Architect is what, one of the things Paul is getting at is that we need to be firmly rooted in Christ so that when the wind comes we are firmly rooted in Christ every time there's a windstorm we all look out our windows at the trees and we're saying I hope those are firmly rooted right um, we had one we look out every time because we have a few large trees in our back, and our neighbors have really large trees that, we, that make us anxious every time there's a windstorm and some of you have had the joy of having a tree come down uh, in your yard, and we had one a few doors down, go down uh, just before Christmas when we had the windstorm. What, what Paul wants to keep us from is that kind of, that, that falling over, that drifting, or, or as we said, drifting into to other lanes. Uh, we are going to walk through a text this morning, my favorite text in this, in this letter to the church in Colossae. It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through to 23. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And out of respect for God's word, I'm going to invite you to stand. Um, we do this. This is actually in the Old Testament. This is actually a form of worship, to stand out of respect for God's word. If you're able, if, if you have difficulty standing, then stay seated. Um, so this is the word of God to us this morning. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, how many times there's all in there? All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile, reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting, not drifting from what you heard, 
from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. God of grace, what a powerful text. I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds that can become so filled with all sorts of other things that are, that are uh, competing for our attention, things that promise big but deliver little. What a powerful text, lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray we would take this next half hour or so to lift up and glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Soften our hearts, soften our minds to what you would want to say to us and give us the courage and the trust to offer more of ourselves over to you. Because if this is true, then you deserve so much more of us. You deserve so much more of me than I'm giving you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Fantastic worship this morning, by the way. Sarah and the team, that was just fantastic worship. And you guys were singing so well. It's just wonderful to hear. Um, uh, you got to love it when a worship leader doesn't mail it in. You know what I mean? Like, that, and I, I've said, I, I felt this myself, and I've, I've said this to Sarah and others. Um, there, there's nothing better than a leader who leads by engaging in worship themselves, not just with one eye open going, are you guys with me? But someone who's just going to go, listen, I'm going to worship Jesus. Are you going to come with me? Well, we'll see. <laughs> I feel like I'm in someone's living room sometimes. It's just like, well, I'm going to worship Jesus. You can come along if you want. Because um, just so you know, it's not Sarah's job to get you there. You know that, right? Uh, you can tell someone who's a, who's a person of worship because they walk in, they, walk, they pop to that door and their hands are in there. Okay? That's not her job to get you there. That's our job to be engaging and being one with Christ so that we're pumped as we're driving here on a Sunday to, to, to get together with God's people and worship corporately together. That's not her job. That's, that's on you. Right? Okay. Side sermon. I don't know why they went there. But anyway, uh, every great epic adventure essentially has the same plot line, and, and it's similar to what Paul's saying here. The hero begins kind of in comfort. This is kind of the Greek uh, tragedy, it's essentially. It's, it starts as, as everything's pretty good, everyone's comfortable, and they're, they're ripped out of that comfort, and they have to go from comfort to, to, to compete or to, to fight or, or to, to go against the jaws of, of death in order for everything to work out okay. That's, that's usually kind of the plot line of an epic story, and we're familiar with a handful of them. So we know these guys as the, as the hobbits of the Shire, and they, they had to leave the comfort of the Shire to go to Mordor and to throw the ring into the fire, and so it would be consumed. I thought, I thought Frodo was holding a cup of coffee there, but it's, uh, it's actually just his sleeve. I thought that would be pretty, pretty cool. Or we're also familiar with Luke Skywalker on Tatooine. He had to leave his vapor farm so that he could uh, leave the comfort of the vapor farm and go and fight the evil empire. Now, those maybe are known by some, but probably what's really true to our heart, when we think of an adventure that just tears you out of your comfort zone and rings true with all of us, it's probably this one, uh, the Brave Little Toaster. <laughs> to the rescue, okay? I didn't actually realize that was a Disney movie <laughs> until, that's actually part two, where, where, where Toaster is, is ripped from the comfort of the kitchen with his friends Blanky and Lampy, and they and they, they get on a, 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 an office chair um, powered by a car battery, and they search for Rob, their master. Okay? Does that, that, maybe that was the wrong one to use. The, the gospel is the archetype of all of these stories. 
where, where we, we take the hero who is in comfort and is in a protected area, and they put all that aside to save others, and they leave comfort. And Jesus, was there anyone who was more, not only in a more protected, comfortable place, but in the right place, where he ought to be in the comfort and on the, on the throne of heaven, who left the throne of heaven to take on, to take the very dust and clay that he created and place himself inside it and take on human flesh and allow his blood to flow through that flesh, knowing that that flesh would be torn and bruised and crucified, and he would allow the very teeth of death to swallow him up. Every other story that you know of where you dive into and you, your heart warms to it because there's this idea of someone leaving the place where they properly belong to leave all the comforts and take on this, the, the trials and the brutality in order to save others. They all find their root in the story of the gospel. And the question comes up for you and I and for anyone who, who hears the story of Jesus Christ is, what kind of resume does Jesus have? Why, why is Jesus the right guy to do this? What makes him so special? And Paul says, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you what makes this Savior so special. Far, far better than Frodo. Far better than Luke Skywalker. And dare you believe it, far better than Toasty. Jesus is the archetype of all heroes. And so when you get a Bible for your kids that says the hero's Bible, and it's all, it's all full of like Samson. And have you read the story of Samson or David? Or they, There should only be one hero Bible and only one hero, and that's Jesus. Okay? Any of these other ones, believe me, you're going to find some problems. Any other pastors that you make heroes or any other teachers that you make heroes, when you read the full biography, you're going to find some problems. Not so with Christ, who was in the perfect and proper place for himself, who stepped into our reality. He is the original king of creation, and he's also the implementer of new creation, which is what Paul's getting at here. He made it, and now he's remaking it. It's quite beautiful. Many think that this is a poem or, or a hymn that uh, may have been around or that Paul kind of constructed. He's just kind of bursting into this song as he, as he writes. And the first thing he, he wants us to understand is this, that Jesus is the fullest expression of God. There's no way around it. He is the fullest expression of God. It says in, in, in the verse first there, Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What we see in the character of Jesus is true of God. So much so that, that Jesus was upset when he would talk to his disciples and they'd say, can you tell us, show us the Father. Like, this is all neat, Jesus. I love all these tricks when you walk on water and you change water into wine and you, make, you feed 5,000 people with this kid's lunch. Um, that's amazing, but can you show us God the Father? And Je Jesus says this back. It's Philip who asked this. You go to the Gospel of John here, yeah. So Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and, and that'll be enough for us. <laughs> Not everything else, but that'll be enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And Paul wants to make it very clear that the, the you and I and the, this church in Colossae do not make that same mistake. If you have seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. As you read the words of Christ, as you see him displayed and splayed 
on the cross, you are seeing God in action. That's an amazing story. An amazing story. It says in this same verse that he is the firstborn of creation. And that's, that's not to say that, that God created him first, as some um, cults try to teach, that Jesus is a God, but he was created after God. That's to mis- the, misinterpret what it means to say firstborn. It, it, in the Old Testament, and not only the Old Testament, in the ancient world, to say that someone was the firstborn wasn't talking about the order of birth. It was to talk about the authority of that person, their supremacy, and, and the, the, what they owned and what they, they will inherit. And it did not always have to be the physically firstborn. In Psalm 89, verse 27, God says this. He says, And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Does anyone know who God's talking about there? King David. Was King David the firstborn in his family? No, he was the runt of the litter. (laughs) He was the last. But God is saying, I'm going to put you in a position of authority and power. And by the way, your kingdom is going to reign forever. The highest of the kings of the earth. He was speaking of David, who's definitely not the firstborn. And because of this, because Jesus is the firstborn, because Jesus is the image of the invisible God, in Jesus we see the wisdom, we see the the fullest message, we see the fullest power of God. The fullest wisdom, the fullest message, and the fullest power. Starting with the fullest wisdom of God. There's a collection of poems in the Old Testament called Proverbs. And the whole point of Proverbs, especially the first bit of Proverbs, is to give this argument for the importance of wisdom. And that true wisdom is the wisdom that has been there for an eternity because it belongs to God. It is actually an expression of God. Paul definitely has this in his mind as he's writing Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 23. But in Proverbs 8, 22 to 30, it says this. It's a bit of a long text. In fact, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a long text. The Lord possesses me, it's, it possesses me. It's talking about wisdom. This is personifying wisdom, right? Or anthropomorphizing <laughs> wisdom. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had even been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. Paul's going out of his way to show this this connection between Jesus Christ and the wisdom of God. It's not a mistake that Paul uses similar language to the Colossians to explain that Jesus is an expression of the mind and the wisdom of God. So look at Jesus, look at the cross, and you are looking at the wisdom of God, which seems like foolishness to man, but it is a wisdom that goes deeper than man's, a wisdom that is higher than man's, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. So if you want to see the fullest expression of God's wisdom, you look at the cross. God was not surprised by our sin, and he has been at work to build new creation through, our son, through his son since eternity. 
So Jesus is the, the wisdom of God expressed. He's also the fullest message of God. If you want to know what God wants to say to you, look to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says this. Long ago, that many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Paul's not alone in making sure that early believers understand who Jesus was. So God spoke through many prophets, but his greatest expression was through Jesus Christ. Some of you are familiar with the Gospel of John, the beginning of the Gospel of John. He makes a very similar uh, explanation of who Jesus is. John 1, 1 to 4. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And, and, and John goes on to talk about th that the word is Jesus Christ, the logos, the, the wisdom, the word of God speaking to us. So do you want to know what God would say to you? How God would interact with you? Read the Gospels. Read how Jesus interacts with people. Read the unpacking of the gospel through, through the writings of the New Testament if you want to know how God would interact and speak to you, what God would call you to. So Jesus is the greatest expression of God's wisdom. He's the greatest expression of God's message to us, and he is also, as Paul is making very evident here, the expression of God's power. He's the fullest uh, expression of God's power. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Sorry, I jumped right through it there. A visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So any level of hierarchy you can think of, whether in the physical world or in the spiritual realm, he created them all and he is over them all. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold Together. Those are some amazing the statements that Paul is making. The, the amount of times he uses the word all and, and everything or every in, in these verses is incredible. The God who stretched out his hands to create the universe will stretch them out again, Paul's about to say. He, he took on flesh that he had created out of, out of dirt and allowed blood to flow through it. One writer puts it this way. He says, speaking of Jesus as being the, the center of all things and, and holding all things together, he says, Christ has precedence over all things in terms of time and status and is a kind of divine glue or spiritual gravity that holds creation together. So that means that even those who don't acknowledge Jesus get to live and breathe in and out every day because of Jesus. So you can, you can deny him. But the, the same way that, that, that I deny air doesn't see, or, or hold my breath doesn't cease air and oxygen to exist is the same for those who deny Christ. He still is what keeps them together, allows them to, to wake up every morning and breathe in and out. You can't dismiss Jesus by your disbelief in him. 
C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of a cell. (laughs) He is the power that holds the world together, even those who refuse to believe. And he's also the fullest salvation of God. There's a, there's a strong transition here in, in Paul's poem, in Paul's song, because the God who created this world also stepped in to save it, who stretched out his hand to create it and now stretches them out to save it. it, it it's, he's, not, he's not standing off. He's not sitting back while someone takes care of it. He's stepping into time and space to deal with it himself. Therefore, to be the head of his body, the church. A few months back, I was uh, invited to watch a UFC fight. And because I'm so manly, I said yes to it. I mean, what would they think if I said, said no? And I got to watch these two guys fight, McGregor and Khabib, who are, you know, they, anyway, I won't get into ideas of intelligence and IQ, but I assumed that I was going to go and watch like a three-minute fight, but I went and I sat there for three hours to watch three or four other fights of vastly different kinds of body shapes fight each other until we finally got to this fight. Now, what always happens, especially for people who are not too familiar with this kind of stuff, is you watch them stand off like this, and then you watch them get in a fight, and you start discussing how, what you would do in the fight. I always love that. I always like looking at the person next to me as he's eating pizza, going, well, this, this is what I would do, I tell you. Or, like, and, and some of us are honest. We'd be like, well, I might be able to take one hit, but then I'd walk away with 30 million, so that's not the worst case scenario. Or we start talking about our different strategies. Well, I'd probably just run around in a circle and maybe tire him out, or fetal position, and we'll see how, the, how long that lasts. But it's the same thing with, with sports, right? You, you, you sit and you get these guys who are all dressed up to watch a sports match. And you, the, these guys are always yelling what they would do, right? Or uh, you, 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 you see them with their foamy finger, we're number one. Um, they're yelling when their team does badly. And if any of you listen to, um, to, to sports radio after and you're listening to the call-in show, it's like, well, if I was the coach, and you know they're just sitting there in their boxers eating their pizza, right? You're like, if you were the coach? And I think of those guys who hold the, you know, they're, they're so separated from what's actually going on on the field, but they could handle it. And I always think of the guy with that foamy finger. If I was, a, if I was an athlete and I just won, like, part of the Super Bowl, just won, I look up and I see these guys with foamy, I would be really insulted. Like, what did you do that you're number one? We're not, like, how did you become a part of this community that's on the field? I bled, I've been in physio, I've given up certain kinds of foods, I fought my whole life to get to this point and lift this cup, and you're up there going, we did it! We're number one, what did you do? I, I, bought, a, I, fought, I bought a foamy finger. I'm waving it and I'm screaming loudly. There's not a standoffness to the way God engaged with the salvation of humanity. There's no, I'm gonna send a, a proxy or there's going to be a surrogate although he becomes our surrogate and our proxy in, in giving his life for us. But the gospel proclamation is that, that God is not satisfied to sit back and watch, that, that he's going to, to step in. He's, he's not going to remain unconnected with what's going on with his creation. Theologian Shirley Guthrie Jr. puts it this way. I love this. 
He says, he, speaking of Jesus, he's not like a king who preserves his majesty and honor only by shutting himself up in the splendor of his palace, safely isolated from the misery of the poor peasants and the threat of his enemies outside the fortress. His majesty is the majesty of a love so great that he leaves the palace and his royal trappings to live among his subjects as one of them, sharing their condition even at the risk of vulnerability to the attack of his enemies. If we want to find this king, we will find him among the weak and lowly. His genuine majesty both revealed and hidden in his choosing to share their vulnerability, suffering, and guilt and powerlessness. This Jesus, that expression, the God who steps out of his comfort and into the muck of humanity, that is the fullest wisdom, the fullest message, and the fullest power of God. And if it's true, if it's true, then Jesus is the way to God. If everything Paul is proclaiming about who Jesus is, then Jesus is the way to God, the only way to God. In Colossians 1, in verse 21 of, of this text, and you, speaking to the Colossians, speaking to you and I, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. No one can accuse you of anything before him. If indeed... You continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Do not drift. Don't try to find hope somewhere else. Don't shift from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. There's no room when we look at Jesus, especially in, in light of what Paul, I mean, we can we get this from the Gospels anyway, but especially in light of what Paul is telling us, there is no room for Jesus as just a good teacher. There, there is no room for many, this is unpopular, there is no room for many religions lead to God, which is a very insulting statement for every other religion, by the way, that all religions lead to. That's not just insulting to Christianity, it's insulting to every other religion. Do you know who's not saying that Christians ought to accept all other religions as basically the same? People in other religions. None of them are saying that because none of them believe that. As one writer puts it, Steve Turner, he says, we believe that all religions are basically the same. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. <laughs> Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, he says this, yet for all of us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, one Lord in our lives, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. There's no room for dual alliance. There's no room for dual alliances in our life. In light of, of this proclamation, assuming you believe it, there's, there's no room for allegiance to, to anything else. There's no room to, to kind of balance that out. The fullest expression of God, his wisdom, message, power, salvation, his exact person are found in Christ. How do we think we can have that and then try to have some side allegiances? If this is true, if the gospel is true, if what Paul proclaims about Jesus is true, it demands our lives. It demands a response. 
If Jesus is who he said he was, and, and the verification is, there's many, <laughs> there's the verification of 500 people saying that they saw him walking around after he died. There's the verification of 11 very scared disciples who went to their deaths proclaiming that he rose from the dead and had a, a kind of power about them to go and preach the gospel in spite of persecution. There's the movement of the church for 2,000 years that says this happened in time and space. If this is true, if he, he is who he said he was, then the invitation of Christ who created all things and hold all of creation together by his hands is where we find our truest self, find our salvation. It's, it's where we make sense. If he's God, you cannot relate to him at all and then retain anything in your life that is a non-negotiable. Do you know what I mean? The, the, it, we cannot say to Jesus, you can have all of it, but not that. Not if this is true. Not if he reigns over everything and holds all things together. Now, I understand, I stand before you like Paul, who says, not that I've attained it, <laughs> but I'm continuing to forget what's behind me and look to Jesus. So I'm still working on that in my life and trying to pull out those, the compartmentalizing that we, we so naturally do. But imagine you had a very close friend and they said, I'm not feeling well. And you, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, I have bad news. The bad news is you, you've only got a few weeks if you don't change drastically the way you're living. He says, and it's super simple. All I'm asking you is to, 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 you have to cut all these things out of your life and, and, and no chocolate. You can't eat chocolate anymore. But you'll have a long, healthy life if you do that. And your friend says, no chocolate. Forget it. Forget it. I'm not going to take that life if you're not going to let me have chocolate. See, any time in our lives where we say to Jesus, you can have everything, but you can't have that. Where we're giving Jesus ultimatums, we are shortchanging ourselves on the fuller life that we can live with Christ. To give him full reign over our lives. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, you, you cannot know. Do I have it up there? Yeah, you cannot know the absolute if you absolutize anything else. Absolutize. I had to look it up. It's a word. You cannot know the supreme one if anything else is supreme. Whenever we say, I'm a Christian, but I need this. I'm a Christian, but I got to have this. I can't give this up. It could be a person. It can be a job. It can be a, a, a certain kind of relationship, a satisfied emotional thought, need, a, a certain hunger, an addiction. Anytime we say, I, I, I'm Christ, but I, I've got to have that as well, we are giving Jesus ultimatums. And we're saying, this is important to me, and you can't have it. So what we're saying is, I'm going to fill up my life with what I want, and then, Jesus, you can fill in the rest, like a supplement, I'm not getting what I need, and I'm not going to let you give it to me, but you can just kind of fill me in where I need it, when things aren't going so well. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means. to We say this to Christ. To be a Christian is to say this. Because you are the creator and sustainer of all things, and because, in spite of all your power, you stepped into time and space and made peace by the blood of your cross, Jesus, I will give you supremacy over everything, full stop. I will not get in your way. There's no place in my life I will point to and say, Jesus, hands off. <laughs> Don't touch. And that is true for individuals, but it's also true for the church. Anytime we as a church say, 
you know, we, we get these side missions and we say, yeah, we get the gospel, but this would be really good if we could have this going on on the side. We are going to fall short of the life that God has called us to. His living, breathing body. See, this is where the, this being one with Christ, this united with Christ, that's where it really gets a grip. Because if we are one with Christ, we are his hands, we are his mouth, we are the expression of Christ in this community, that's going to show up in things like Alpha. When, when Nick gets up and says, hey, we want to tell people about Jesus because we believe that he is our fullest hope. We believe that he's the fullest message and expression of God's wisdom and power. Well, if we are united with Christ and our mission is Christ's mission, then we're going to say, where do I sign up? Nick, why didn't you just pass that around so we could all sign it? Because obviously we're going to say yes to it. What, what possibly could we have in our lives that would say, no, we don't want to help people learn where Jesus is. We don't want people to meet Jesus. When things like the cold, wet weather map program come up and we say, go online, check it out and sign up. It's super easy. We've laid it all out for you. Pretty simple. There's no question of whether we're going to go online this afternoon and look and say, where do I sign up? And maybe I can only sign up for one day, but where do I sign up? Because, hey, I am united with Christ. We as a church are united with Christ. So we are his voice. We are expression of his power and his love and his grace and salvation. So just I'll sign up. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. And, and, and some of us, we might want to ask ourselves, you know, we, we, we come out to church, but we might want to ask ourselves, is this, is this really, am I really a part of this church? Because we can take up space. We, we, and I'm being very careful the way I say this. <laughs> okay, breathe in, think about it. By coming here on a Sunday, does that make us a part of this church? Or is what makes us a part of the church to say the mission, the mission of Christ is for this church to reach this community, and I'm going to be a part of reaching this community. It's going to be a lot more than just me showing up on a Sunday. It's going to be me gathering with my brothers and sisters in Christ and encouraging them and spurring them on for, to do good works with their family and their work and at their school. But it's also going to mean reaching outside of these walls and outside of this community to reach those who are lost, to feed them and to bring them to Jesus. Hey, if, if I got something growing on my body that's not doing anything, I go to the doctor and I have it removed, right? So if we're showing up here and we're just kind of showing up on a Sunday and just kind of latching to the side, we might want to ask ourselves if we're actually a part of this body. Hey, there's a lot of churches that don't care out there who are not interested. I don't know any personally. I'm not judging any of them. I'm just saying there's plenty of places you can go or be in community that's not concerned about those outside of their own group. That is not what the church is. The church exists for those outside, of this building. Don't worry, you'll get to lead worship in a bit. Was that you? Oh, it wasn't you. Okay. <laughs> if, if you're new to church, if you're checking us out, this isn't you. I'm talking to those. Uh, <laughs> talking to those, and myself included, who call Town Center their church. Because we are saved, we are not only saved from something, we are saved towards something, right? We are saved to do something, to offer hope. He finishes off, or actually, it's actually earlier in what we read last week. In verse 13 and 14, Paul says this. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. To be a part of his kingdom is to move his reign all over the Tri-Cities. It's to bring hope and peace and joy and, and, and a place for the homeless and food for the hungry. And to call out to those who do not know Jesus, be reconciled to your God. I mean, if, if we want to cut our life short as a church, 
we remove ourselves from the head. The head of the body is Christ. If we want to cut a church's life short or, or diminish its ability to serve and reach out to the community, we sever ourselves from the head. And that's true of us as individuals. Do you want to limit your life as a, as a, in your relationship with Jesus Christ and your, uh, your effect for the gospel in our community? Don't walk with Jesus. It's really easy. But you want to have some impact? Then start taking those things in, in our lives that, that we say, you know, you, you can have everything, but you can't have that, and say, even that. You reign even over that. Paul says, don't drift from this hope. Don't drift from that. A lot of other ones claim to be hope. Don't drift from this hope because there's no, there's no hope found anywhere else. So are you looking for God? Or do you want to hear from God? Do you want to understand the power of of God, the extent of his love for you, look to the cross. Look to Jesus. Do you want to have that power at work in your lives? Do you want to see him infiltrate families and, and offices and, and schools and our culture? It comes from us saying, there is nothing that you are not supreme over. There is nothing in my life that you do not reign over. And there is nothing in my life that you cannot redeem. Broken relationships, addictions, hurt, deep hurt. There's nothing that does not fall under his reign. And it takes work and it takes time. And that's why I love scripture because we don't always see the snap and everything works. We see a community more often than not walking with the brokenhearted and the hurt because we are united in Christ. That is the invitation of the gospel. The image of the invisible God, his fullest expression of love, deliverance, power, and wisdom are found in Christ. So if you come here this morning and you, you know, maybe it's the first time hearing this kind of stuff, but you want to know what it means to, to engage with God, to understand forgiveness, why a God would leave the comfort of his home, the comfort of heaven, and step into creation to recreate it and redeem it. The invitation is for you. To, to, to say today, there's, I've tried it on my own. I've tried lording it over my own life. I've tried being king or queen of my own life, and I need to release that to you. Then maybe this morning is the time where you decide, make that decision. So I've tried it my way. I've tried this direction, that direction. And maybe it's time to bow your head and say, Jesus, I'm submitting my life, every area of my life, to you. And maybe you've been a Christ follower for years, but you have said to Jesus over and over and over in your life, you can have all of this, but you can't have this. And I will not let you touch this. See, that, that very action isn't to put something small in the corner. That very action is to say that is where your heart truly is. And Jesus says, I want that. I want that. I died for that too. Whether it's, whether it's brokenness, addiction, whatever it is, he wants to reign over that too. And as I've said many times here, guys, isn't it great to know that when we repent, waiting on the other side of our repentance is a God with arms open wide, not a God with a hammer? Because any punishment that would be laid on us has already been laid on Jesus Christ. Any punishment for our rebellion has already been placed on Jesus Christ. That is the invitation this morning. A full submission of our lives. Nothing small, nothing, nothing big. <laughs> Notice how many times Paul used the word all and everything. Those are very, um, very interesting words in the Greek. They mean all and everything. 
Let's pray, guys. God of grace, maybe this message hits, hits us each differently and comes at us from, from different sides this morning. To reflect on the perfect Son of God, the perfect representation of the very author of life, we ought to be humbled we ought to see the, the stubbornness of our own heart when it comes to our willingness to, to release so many things we hold dear, but, we, but that keep us from you. Do a work in us this morning. God, there is going to be a day when our worry, our stubbornness, our, our, our unwillingness to give over to you, even our, even our fear of living out our faith and, and sharing our faith is going to seem so ridiculous in light of who you are and what you are doing and what you will continue to do because we know that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that you, Jesus Christ, are Lord, you are supreme, you are the image of the invisible God. So pry our fingers open and through your spirit, through his counsel, through his comfort, do a work in us this morning. If, if, if you're here this morning and this is the, the first time you've heard a message like this, or you've heard it for a while, but you, you're coming to a point where you say, I need to do this, then I, I would invite you right now to say, Jesus, I'm done running. I'm done being hostile in mind. I'm done being an alien to you I, I want to accept your invitation to be a child of the living God so that your death, your, your sacrifice, your blood is a payment for my sin. And the promise of the gospel is that, as Paul wrote, you are now seen as holy and blameless and above reproach because it's not about what you can pull off. It's about what Jesus has already pulled off for you. Do you accept it by faith? If that's you, say yes to Jesus this morning. For the rest of us, if, we, if there's, there's things, God, that you are speaking to us about this morning, then there can be such an array of things that we refuse to give over to you. Thank you for your gentleness. Thank you for your kindness when it comes to counseling us and walking with us. As you point those out, we say to you, we release those to you. Or we, or we invite you in and we say, give us counsel and, and, and wisdom in this area. But God, we thank you that you are a God of forgiveness. And I, I ask now that we, we would have a great understanding of your forgiveness. For those who are here and just feeling guilt, Jesus, take that away. In light of the gospel, in light of the cross, remove that guilt. Remove the shame that accompanies it. And I pray your blessing on this church, on this congregation. I pray there will be a deeper understanding of what it means to, to be called a child of the living God, to be one with Christ, united in his death and in the power of his resurrection. We thank you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.